but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian, as on the day of Midian. For every brute, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts has brought this to pass as Christ has come down as the sacrifice and the propitiation for our sin. So let's sing of our glorious King. Rumors. Rumors of the Son of Man. Stories of a Savior. Holiness with human hands. Treasure for the traitor. No ear has heard, no eye had seen. Of the Father until heaven came to live with me, a rescue like no other. You are worthy, and you are worthy. speak. You did not speak, you made no sound. You died for your accusers. And as your blood fell to the ground, you redefined my future. Yeah, on the day that you arose, the dark for the king of kings has claimed his throne now until forever and you are worthy 
You're my author. You're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. You're my hope in the shadows, my strength in the battle, my anchor for all my days. And you stand by my side and you stood in my place, Jesus, no other name, only Jesus, no in this next song reflect upon the glorious gospel story of how Christ came down lived among us a sinless life died in our behalf and rose again conquering the grave come behold and come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King, He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. And in our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended took on flesh to ransom us. And come behold the wondrous mystery, He the perfect Son of Man, in His living, in His suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Come behold.
price of our redemption see the father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory grace unmeasured love untold and come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the god of life but no grave could ever strain him praise the lord he is alive and what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering i hope christ in power resurrected as will we be when he comes what a foretaste what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering i hope christ in power resurrected as will we be when he comes You may be seated. Reflect upon this glorious truth of the gospel, our salvation. Good to see you all here. Uh, we will not uh, have our regular time of prayer this morning because uh, we are going to uh, do communing after the service. So just for the sake of keeping our service under a uh, under about 60 minutes, uh, we will uh, just go straight into the Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 16. John 16, verse 16, I'll read down to the end of the chapter. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, 
So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you may be with us through your abiding Holy Spirit as we come to your word. Please speak to us, Lord. May you bring encouragement, may you bring conviction, and we pray that in all things you may be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The Chinese general and military strategist, who also was an author and philosopher, wrote a book titled The Art of War. And The Art of War is a book on Chinese military strategy. And that actually still remains pretty influential to this day, even here in the West. In the book, Sun Tzu writes, every battle is won before it's ever fought. What Sun Tzu means is that the events that take place prior to the war is what determines the victory. So it's all the things, all the preparation, the military drills, the strategizing, it's uh, even especially the, the morale of the troops, all these things can determine the outcome of a war. Now, let's say that, miraculously, you heard a voice from God, and you know without a question that it was the voice of God and told you, this coming battle, you'll be victorious, you're going to be fine. Now, would you continue to prepare for the battle, or would you just kind of stop preparing and not do anything? Even though, the, even though the voice, even though God has told you that you will be victorious in this battle, he never said anything that the, that the enemy is going to give up without a fight. I mean, just think about the, the walls of Jericho, right, the story of Joshua, right, that God's people were guaranteed success, but it doesn't mean that they didn't have to do anything, right? There were certain preparations that had to be made. There were certain things that they had to do in order to then walk into that victory, and to see those walls crumble so that they can then begin their conquest. 
And as Christians, I know, because I, I am a Christian and I know it personally, and because I know that you feel it too as a Christian, that sometimes fighting can feel like an uphill battle. And sometimes you're just wondering, when is this going to end? Is it going to end? When will things get better? But in the midst of the battle, you have two things. You have Christian joy, and you have Christian victory. So here in the passage, Jesus is using figures of speech. And Jesus often used figures of speech in order to communicate to people, to his disciples, and especially to the crowds who are listening to his teaching. And for like parables, for example... And he used these figures of speech in order to communicate uh, truths in an impressionable way, in a way that people could memorize. And also he would speak in figures of speech in order to keep truths hidden as a form of judgment. And we see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 13. And so Jesus is here using figurative speech to communicate to his disciples. And I don't think his intention is to confuse his disciples. But at the time... They didn't understand. Yeah, they didn't have the kind of understanding that they needed in order to understand what Jesus was talking about. A little while and you'll be here. A little while and you're going to come again. What does he mean by that? And they wouldn't understand a lot of things until Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus came to them and and even after the Spirit would come and descend upon them. Until then, they're not going to understand a whole lot. And the Spirit, right, is the one who guides us into understanding, guides us into the truth of the scriptures, of what God has told us in his word. And so we are dependent upon the spirit of God to grow in our level of understanding. Growing in understanding is a mark of Christian maturity. The Christian should always be discontent in his level of understanding so that even when he comes to understand a particular doctrine or a particular theology or a particular attribute of God or has understood a certain passage of scripture or even a certain book of the Bible, He still says, I have not learned enough. I have not understood enough. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says that he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What is the mission of the church? Or what is the vision of the church? It's not evangelism. That's the mission. That's what the church is called to do, to proclaim the gospel, to evangelize to the lost world, to plant churches, to revitalize churches that are dying, to send out missionaries into the world, to proclaim the gospel. That is what the church is called to do. That's the mission of the church. Right? And that's our mission as well. But what is Christ's vision for the church? What is the aim of Christ's church? And the aim of Christ is that his church would measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right, that's not going to happen here in this life. But we strive for it. We continue to grow up to get there. Right, and we cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit of God, right, who guides us into the truth, who helps us to understand the truth. 
but we are to grow up into the head who is Christ, which Paul says later on in the book of Ephesians. But that is the vision. That is what we are after. And why is that? Why is this the vision of the church? And Paul tells us in that passage in Ephesians, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, by carried about by every doctrine, by false teachers, and all these lies that are in the world by competing false, by competing worldviews that don't line up with the scriptures. Right, as a child, right, you can tell a child just about anything and they'll believe you. Like, you can tell them that, that the pigs can fly, they'll believe you. Oh, yeah, pigs can fly. And so that's the point, that we grow up into Christian maturity, that we continue to grow in a level of understanding so that we won't be easily, easily deceived by contrary teachings in the world. Christian maturity is of eternal consequence. It's a difference between heaven and hell. It's a difference between the biblical gospel as preached by Jesus Christ and the apostles and say the prosperity gospel. It's a difference between sticking it through and sticking to your convictions and what you know to be right and true according to the scriptures, the scriptures and carried away instead by the waves of what society thinks is acceptable and, and normal that is anti-gospel. Hebrews 5.11. The author has this to say about the churches that he writes to. In Hebrews 5.11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Christ's aim is for us to continue to grow up so that we may transition from having milk to solid food. We may grow in our level of understanding of who God is, of Christ and his work on the cross and what that means for us. When somebody is converted, they become, we consider that a baby Christian. The point is not to remain there, but the point is to begin to crawl. And then from crawling, to begin walking. And then once you're walking, the point is to continue to keep walking, right? To not settle in where you are at in your Christian walk. But it's always a striving for more. And it's not to say that you're going to understand everything, right? It's impossible. We can't. But there are some things that we can understand and grow in our level of understanding through His Holy Spirit and through His Word. And the disciples at this point don't have the right maturity level to understand what Jesus is talking about when He says that He's going to depart and leaving them and for a little while and coming back in a little while. Essentially what Jesus is telling them is that His departure is going to be brief. He means to encourage his disciples. I know that sorrow has filled your heart. I've been telling you that I am leaving, but it's only going to be for a little while. And surely that that must have felt like a really long, long, long while as the disciples are apart from Jesus, but especially so so for Jesus. They're saying that, that time is relative, that time 
goes faster or slower depending on what, what you're doing. Right? So if you're having the time of your life, then time seems to go by super, super fast. But if you are bored out of your mind, which none of you should be, I hope, right now, but if you are bored of your mind, it seems like time is just dragging on, taking on forever, endeavor, endeavor, endeavor. It seems like it's painfully slow. And the last moments of Jesus' life must have seemed like they were painfully slow, even though he said he'd only be gone for a little while. Right? Painfully slow as he's arrested in the middle of the night and imprisoned, as he's interrogated and left without sleep. Painfully slow as he's then whipped and scourged and beaten to the point where he's unrecognizable. Painfully slow as he's forced to carry a heavy wooden cross through the crowded streets and up a hill painfully slow as he's hung on that cross and painfully slow as he absorbs the wrath of God that your sins and my sins deserved. And then he dies. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it is just a little while. It is just a brief moment in history. It's just a blip in history. Because after a little while, Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, having conquered death and sin and the devil and the world all at the same time. And then he comes and visits his disciples. And this visitation, he didn't mean this immediate visitation of his disciples because we know that after he visited his disciples, after resurrecting from the dead, Jesus, what happened? He was taken up into heaven. And he left his disciples again. But by his visitation, he means that he will visit them again via his Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the means by which he visits them, that he visits his church, and that he visits with us today, and that he visits with each and every one of you who are a child of God. Christ continues to visit with us. In John fourteen eighteen, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. When Jesus continues to be with us, he continues to be with his church. He has not left his people to be orphans in the world. He's not forsaken his people. He continues to abide with his people. And even in, so that in those days when it seems like you are fighting an uphill battle, when it seems like days are super long and you have no idea when things are going to end, when things are going to get better, and you are eager for things to get better, you can still be encouraged to know that Jesus Christ has not left you alone, but that he remains with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Verse 25, Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Um, until then, no one has asked Jesus or has asked the Father in the name of Jesus. That's because Jesus had yet to die and rise from the dead. Through the cross, Jesus not only secured our eternal redemption, but he secured for us the blessing of being able to pray to God the Father directly. In the passage, Jesus does not intend to say that he does not pray for his people. 
right? We see that in John 17, that Jesus does pray for his people, that Jesus prays for his church. And also in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is the faithful and merciful high priest who intercedes for us. And even the Holy Spirit, right, in Romans chapter 8, tells us the Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us. I don't know about you, but the fact that, that I know I have those two praying for me makes me feel like I can get through just about anything. But Jesus intends to tell us, to tell his people that we do not need sort of an intermediary, that we come before, we pray, and that that person takes our prayers to the Father, like a, like a postman, like a mailman delivers letters. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. He says that because of our faith in Jesus, and because we love Jesus, God loves us in return, and because God loves us and we love him, we can come to the Father and pray, and we can rest assured that the Lord hears us. Jesus has secured for us the heart of the Father. Just like a child has the Father, has a, the heart of her parents, so we have the heart of our Heavenly Father. God the Father loves you because you love Jesus. And because you love Him and He loves you, you can pray to Him directly. Right? And this is the joy of the Christian that we have this intimate and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we can say with confidence that God loves me. That God loves you because you love his son. Right, this is where Christian joy comes from, from this loving relationship that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. So even in the thick of battle, we have this Christian joy and we also have Christian victory. Verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The world has a plethora of ideas and suggestions as how to achieve inner peace. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Right? Take some time off, relax, set limits, Sit on the floor, Indian style, and don't think about anything and just hum to yourself. Right? Some of it is helpful, some of it isn't, some of it works, some of it doesn't. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the, the old show, Family Matters, with Steve Urkel. Carl Winslow, he comes up with a method, this mantra to try to calm himself. Whenever he, he feels his blood boiling, he, he, to try to control his anger, he comes up with this mantra to say to himself, to, in order to, to, to get some inner peace. And he says with a smile on his face, he says, three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? And then he looks at Steve Urkel and he says, it's you. You are bothering me. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this life, you have been, you are, and you will be bothered by a lot of things you'll be presented with some challenges, with some frustrations. And there may be even be a few moments of suffering, perhaps even more than just a few moments of suffering. And in part, it will be because you and I are human beings who are living in a fallen world. And Proverbs tells us that, that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. 
And in part, it will be because of your Christian identity. Now, while the world may try to find and achieve this inner peace from within, to generate it from within, we have a different peace that doesn't come from within. But it's an alien peace. That is a peace that doesn't come from within us. It's not produced by us, but it comes from God. It's a peace that's given to us that comes through the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where our ultimate peace comes from. Now, when we look to the cross, some may try to explain it away or reason away and say that Jesus was able to overcome the tribulations of the world and the anguish and the suffering of the cross because he was the Son of God, because he was divine, and therefore separate the union we have with Jesus Christ, whereby his victory is ours. Now, yes, Jesus was certainly divine. He was certainly the Son of God. Yes, he had all power. He could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue him. He could have got himself up off the cross all by himself because he is the Son of God. But my Savior is also fully human. And you need only to look at the cross. When you look at the cross, does this look like a God of infinite power? Does this look like a God that does not feel anguish and pain and turmoil and sorrow? Is this the kind of suffering that you would expect a God to endure? Yes, Jesus is God. He is the Lord, but he is also at the same time fully human. And when he died on the cross, he died as a human being. And as a God, he was not forced into the cross but he permitted himself to be hung on that cross to suffer for the sins of his people. And it's for this reason that Jesus says with imperatible force to take heart because I have overcome the world. Right, Christ is our assurance of victory. Now that should not tempt us towards slackness. That doesn't mean that we can just sit by and do nothing. But instead, it should compel us to discipline and to vigilance. I'm, I'm always convicted when I see really accomplished musicians perform. I don't know if you've ever felt the same way. Because when I think of them, I, just say, for example, I don't know if you've heard of them, but like the, uh, the two, ch- two cellos, right? Two guys that play the, play the cello, like, and they play really, really, really well. And I just think, how many hours that they have spent in their lifetime mastering that instrument. I mean, that means not going outside and playing with with friends while they were growing up. It probably means not watching as much television as most kids watch, not picking up a remote control to play a video game, very little to no extracurricular activities because they devoted most of their time, most of their free time, to mastering this instrument. I mean, that's what it takes. And I'm not saying that we should adopt a similar lifestyle, but I'm just saying if somebody can pick up an instrument and master that instrument and wonderful, that's great. But if they can do that, why can't we be just as diligent and disciplined in the Christian walk? Why? Well, some may try to master an instrument and that's well and good, but we strive for something much better, something that's of eternal value. And that is the kingdom that Christ purchased for us. So therefore, we don't remain as we are, but we continue to strive forward 
to grow in greater and greater maturity in the Christian faith. And it's because Christ has died on the cross, it's because he has purchased this victory for us that we actually can press forward and into the kingdom of Christ. John 5, sorry, 1 John 5 verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Romans 8.35, many of you are familiar with this passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, for the sake of being Christians, because we are identified with Jesus Christ. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Romans 54, I love this passage. For whatever was written for my days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Did you know that this was written for your encouragement so that you may have hope? Remember, the Gospel of John presents the world in the starkest of manner. The world is that which represents what is darkness, that which is opposed to God, that which is considered an enemy of God. And Jesus says that he has overcome the world, that he has become, that he is triumphant over that which was opposed to him. So even as we suffer in various ways, even as we meet challenges, even as we battle different seasons of life, and it seems like it's going on for a long time, for a long period of time, forever and ever, and we're just wondering, when's it going to end, Lord? When are we going to see better days? When are things going to get better? Jesus says, take heart. Be of good courage. I have overcome the world, and I have not left you as an orphan. And in those moments, in those challenging times in our life, we're not called to be slack, but we are called to press into the kingdom. I've said this before, and I'll say this many, many times in my life. Pursuing the kingdom of Christ is not something that unbelievers do. Pursuing the kingdom of Christ is the chief business of the Christian. That is what his life is all about, pursuing the kingdom. Because the kingdom is already his through Jesus Christ. So even as we struggle and go through challenges, as even our lives may be filled with sorrow, even as we, if we suffer, and sometimes challenges and tribulations are there to kind of wake you up from your slumber. I'm not saying that's the case all the time, but sometimes those challenges are there in your life to just give you a, a nice slap over the face, <laughs> to kind of wake you up. Hey, pursue the kingdom. And pursuing the kingdom is not just about reading more theology, though that's helpful. But it's certainly more than that. It's digging into the scriptures. It's trying to understand what the word says to us and what, his will, what the Lord's will is for our lives. 
It's sharpening one another through conversations, through having spiritual conversations. It's through praying together. It's praying to the Lord. So if you have been slack or it's been slubbering in your Christian walk, if you have been maybe not pursuing the Lord as much as you should, maybe you've been feeling kind of spiritually lazy for some time for whatever reason, maybe you've been giving into sin, particular sin in your life, the Lord is calling you to wake up. The victory has already been purchased through Jesus Christ. And you just need to pursue that kingdom. You just need to walk into that victory. Right? Just because Christ has made the, has acquired the victory for us doesn't mean that we sit in our recliners and just let the world go by and not do anything in pursuit of the Lord. Because Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. But he also says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so be of good courage. Christ has overcome the world. And he is with you, and he is calling you and I to continue to press into the kingdom of Christ. Pursuing it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this morning we have an opportunity to do something we haven't done in quite a long time because of the pandemic, and that is to have communion together. I think this is a good way to remember what Christ has done for us and the victory that he's purchased for us on our behalf. So if you would, if you wouldn't mind, please uh, stand. And if you have uh, your little cups, and that has the, 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 the juice... And the wafer. If you haven't, have you haven't picked one up, that you can feel free to grab one in the back. And actually, I forgot to grab mine, <laughs> which my daughter has apparently taken. Can you bring me one? Sorry, I'll just. <laughs> Thank you. So as we take this, we can remember the, the bread, remember the body and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was bruised and beaten on our behalf. Every, every laceration to the body of Christ just represents every, every sin that deserves the punishment of God. Sins, our sins, our offenses to God. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ represents the remission of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, the new blood of the covenant by which we come to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And through this blood of the covenant, we receive the forgiveness and the mercy of God. And so we take this meal to remember what the Christ has done for us, to remind us of the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. And we also look forward to the day when we will see Jesus Christ, that we will be joined, where his church will be joined to Jesus Christ. And praise him for his victory on the cross. And so we're going to take this meal together. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have trusted him as your Lord and Savior. If your life is characterized by the holiness that God requires and characterized by the repentance of sin and turning towards Jesus Christ and have received baptism, then you are invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. 
But if you have yet to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I would just ask that you let these uh, just not take this with us, because the scriptures are clear that this is a family meal. And that anyone who drinks it in an unworthy manner that is apart from believing in Jesus Christ, then they drink judgment upon themselves. But even as you sit, then consider what you've heard this morning. Consider the cross of Jesus Christ. And that today could even be the day of salvation for you. For my dear brothers and sisters, let's go to the Lord and remember what Christ has done for us. That if we have been slumbering, if we have been slack in our Christian walk, to confess that to the Lord and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us of all our sins. And may we recommit our lives to pursuing him with diligence. So then, you may have done it already, but you can carefully. The top was the, the wafer. Try not to spill it on yourself. And so we'll take the wafer together, and then we'll do the same with the cup, and we'll conclude with a, a word of prayer. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We glorify you for what you've done for us. There's nothing that we could have done to deserve it, but out of your sheer mercy and grace, and out of your love, you died for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the victory that is ours. May this give us encouragement, Lord, as we continue to walk in this world, as we are hemmed in on every side but the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there is someone living in us who is greater than the world and the flesh and the devil, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord. Help us to continue to pursue the kingdom that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Join me with Marissa on this next song. Sing with me, how great is I. 
sisters. You're the name above all names. So worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. And how great is our God. Sing with me. for this next song Ademi talked about and preached about the joy that we have in the Christian life through Christ you'll notice this song is traditionally sung at Christmas but in the lyrics they're not inherently Christmas lyrics so we're going to have a little bit of Christmas in July this morning as we sing joy to the world Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. Let 
joy that we have in Christ as he conquered the world and we share in that victory. Hear our benediction as Pastor Demi read it earlier from 1 John 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Brothers and sisters, be encouraged in the victory that we have over sin and death in Jesus Christ. Go forth 
and peace be with you until we return again.